0: For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com.
1: All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show is a longtime shooting industry vet, Cole Kornberg. And we are going to be talking about everything when it comes to long-range shooting. I'm super excited about this. Long-range shooting is something that I've always been interested in. I've jumped into here and there, but recently I've just got this desire to see how far I can push my rifle's limits, the ballistics, my experience. And so I'm really excited to get tips and tricks to hopefully extend my range when I'm out west hunting big game animals as well. So if that's something you're interested in, if you like shooting, if you like hearing the bang of a gun, if you like watching the vapor trail through a spotting scope, if you like just testing the boundaries of your equipment, this is the episode for you. I'm excited. Let's jump in. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there.
0: I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't
2: fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way
0: it's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal i don't know what to expect
2: if there's anybody i want in the woods with me it'll be you
1: all right guys welcome to today's show and joining me on the show today is cole kornberg now he has a pretty extensive history dealing with long-range shooting and rifle systems and ballistics and so cole i'm excited to jump into this conversation thanks for hopping on
2: hey no problem man thanks for having me we're uh We're trying to spread good knowledge and stuff to everybody, so I appreciate you giving us the the chance to do that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'm always intrigued. I love shooting. I mean, any type of shooting that I can do, I'm always uh, wanting to learn how to get better, how to educate myself, uh, just to become a more accurate, more consistent shooter, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. Before we jump into a lot of the meat of the conversation, would you mind sharing with the listeners, maybe a little history about yourself. How did you find yourself where you are now uh, with the, with the knowledge and education that you have around shooting?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 so I live here in Utah. I grew up in Utah. My dad holds probably tons of records for giant mule deer um, for when he grew up. And I remember just, you know, seeing them all on the wall and him teaching me his tips and tricks. And that kind of got me into the uh you know the shooting side of it a little bit you know i grew up like everybody else you had the pie plate out there you had the old 30 out six you know that was that was the way that that our fathers and our grandfathers kind of taught us how to hunt and uh it it kind of took a different turn Uh, my so a lot of my family was military i joined the military spent eight years uh between the army and the national guard um and then i got out i'm like well I, i kind of want to still continue shooting and disciplines and different stuff like that so uh, I got the chance to go to work for Remington which was freedom group at the time Um, so I I worked for Remington primarily Barnes Bullets I was a ballistician Uh, so I worked on U.S. Army sniper contracts I worked on uh, special uh, stuff we can't talk about projects Uh, I worked on ammunition projects Uh, I helped uh, with the first design and Uh, with the 300 blackout, stuff like that. So I had a lot of good knowledge come to me um, over the time of the six years. And then after that, I'm like, you know what? Uh, Everything started going down. Remington started laying off because they couldn't spend money worth the shit. You know, they were always spending money on stuff they didn't. They weren't growing. They had to lay a bunch of people off. And that was probably one of the best things that happened to me. After that, I started my company, which is POI. And now we represent... And consult with major companies uh, within the firearms and outdoor across the country. You know some of the bigger names. We've worked on projects with them, and it's it's kind of been really fun. It's it's really opened the doors for us. Um, and then as of recently, I started Long Range Tactics, which uh, is an education point because I saw too much misinformation on. YouTube and Facebook and stuff. And I'm like, well, we need to change a lot of this. So we started that um, to really educate people better about shooting and about ballistics and, you know, try to share some of the knowledge that I've had over the years and then bring in people, uh, which we have a team now at Long Range Tactics to help. We've got uh, one guy who was a captain of the Marine Corps shooting team. I've got a couple active duty special forces snipers. Um, I've got SWAT guys I've got, so I've pulled in a bunch of people from different, uh, genres of the shooting industry to really make a good place where people can come learn. And that's what I really want to kind of push is the education portion of it.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I feel like educating people in the right way as early on as possible is key because, um, even just hearing stories from others, like, Hey, if, if you have, uh, a history of shooting but you've been doing it wrong it's going to be a lot harder to retrain than someone new coming into it and i mean that was me like same thing that you're talking about we would go out the day before or two days before season with the paper plate uh pin it to a pin it to a tree or a cardboard box i'd be shooting my 20 gauge uh with a bead sight and a slug and as long as i hit that pie plate at 50 yards we were good to go the next day and uh I I had zero fundamentals when it came to shooting, long-range stuff, precision. It was just as long as you hit the deer, you're good. And as a hunting industry, I feel like we need to get better about not being those people. You know, just pulling your rifle out last second, firing two shots. Okay, we're good. We need to We need to be proficient with the weapons that we're using.
2: Yeah, and a lot of people look at it like, man, this is overwhelming. You know, you get into ballistics, you get into... Ballistic coefficients. You get into everything that has to do with, you know, the the shooting genre. And it's like it's really in depth or not in depth. It's really easy to start taking the steps to make yourself better and more proficient. Um, there's definitely some steps you need to take. Um, you know, and training yourself in different things. And I get asked that a lot. They're like, you know, where do I start? And I'm like, you've got to start at the basics, you know, you engaging with the rifle. You understanding what you're doing wrong when you get behind the rifle you know managing recoil there little things like that and then just start taking the steps you know further and further and there's there's definitely those steps and that's what i really want to you know hit hit home with people is it's like it's not that difficult just you know take a deep breath and let's go through the steps of getting there you know what i mean
1: oh absolutely and i i feel like it's just it's the same with shooting as it is with anything. It could you could translate it from weightlifting. Like if you work on your form at the beginning, you're going to be able to lift heavier weight sooner than if you have bad form and you're like, oh, I'm just going to lift this heavy weight right now. Well, it's going to be bad form and you're not really going to grow. You're not going to get the results that you want. Whereas with shooting, same thing. If you have bad form from the get-go, it's not going to help you long range. All of your mistakes, your inconsistencies are going to compound once you get out to to further and further distances and so yeah if people can get good at 50 yards 100 yards right out of the gate you know get the fundamentals dialed in and then start poking out farther what are some of those things that you see with shooters that most people struggle with and could be working on right now
2: one of the biggest things that i always kind of laugh at is I, i try not to go to private ranges we have our own ranges uh where we teach but every once in a while i'll go to a private range and just kind of watch people the one of the biggest ones is people sit on a bench they get their gun dialed in and then they leave Right. but how many times are you going to go shoot a buck bull you name it off of shooting bench right or how how far or how how are you ever going to be provision behind that rifle if you're not going prone if you're not shooting from a rock if you're not trying to use something to understand that you will never be shooting from a bench at an animal Um, you know that's one of those big key things it's like coyote hunters i tell everybody i'm like hey that's great you went and shot um, off the bench but how many times you sitting your ass in a chair with either a you know a pair of sticks or something else so why are you not teaching yourself um, ways to be faster at that and be more proficient and be we call it precise and accurate. There's two big differences there between precise and accurate. And we could probably talk about that a little bit, but being both is what you want to be because one without the other, you're still not a good shooter, if that makes sense. But it's those basic fundamentals that people just will not spend the time to work on and spend a few extra rounds, making sure they're comfortable making those shots because I am huge proponent on ethical shots. I mean, we can talk about that all day long about guys winging bullets. I've seen it all the time. It just irritates the hell out of me at animals, and then they walk off wounded or something else, and I'm like, you had no right to to do that with with being an ethical hunter. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: yeah. And I mean, I I love what you said there about practicing the shots that you're going to be taking. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna have a concrete table to shoot off of when you're when you're out elk hunting or deer hunting or coyote hunting and so to get comfortable with a set of shooting sticks or a bipod attached to the front of your rifle or shooting laying prone with a bag at an incline and shooting the distances like i know guys that they're like oh man i shoot at like 300 yards quite a bit like i i think i could probably hit out to like eight nine hundred and i'm like have you ever shot that far like do you have any idea what your what your round is doing aside from your ballistics calculator, like, do you, do you feel confident? And I think it's Steve Ranella who always talks about that. Like, don't take a shot that you haven't practiced. Like if you're, if you're just out there lobbing bullets at animals, you're putting a bad name out there for everybody. And you're potentially just wounding animals to go and die a really slow, painful death. Um, And so that's one thing that I love doing is practicing those shots, shooting off my tripod, shooting off of shooting sticks, laying prone, you know, propping up a backpack, because I'm not going to have a giant sandbag, like shooting bag out there when I'm hunting. I'm just not carrying that kind of weight around. Um, But to get proficient with the equipment that you're going to actually be using out in the woods. That's what makes the most sense to me.
2: Right. And understanding like, I mean, how many times have we got down to lay prone to shoot a longer range and you've got grass or you've got shrubs or something so now what is your next step you know are you looking around trying to find a tree limb um so how do you engage that you know tree limb are you leaning into it or are you pulling away from it but that's all stuff that you've got to kind of teach yourself you know and that was one of those things um i shot professionally um, i shot for team remington for a while i shot for team us optics i was sponsored by a lot of different companies and i felt good shooting out past a thousand but when it came to animals, I wanted to make sure that those shots were what I wanted to be. Um, You know, I can shoot a piece of steel and not feel bad about it if I miss it or I nick the corner of it or something. But if I'm shooting an elk or a deer and not understanding, you know, what I'm doing with that, that, that bugs me. I'm one of those people. I'm like, man, if I wound something, I don't think it just makes me sick, you know? So understanding kind of what you mean to that point, like here in Utah, take, for instance, you've got two canyons or two draws between you and the animal. So what is the wind doing out each one of those draws? Uh, You know, first draw might push it this way. Second draw might push it this way. Are you looking at vegetation above the animal to see what it's doing at the animal? Because it could be doing something completely different in the animal what it's doing for you. And the further you get, the more you're going to have to try and figure that stuff out. Um, And a lot of people teach you. You know, what your gun is, they usually measure a rifle in miles per hour. So, you know, at 600 yards, this miles per hour, this is what your hold is, you know, different things like this. And and an animal, you've got a lot more windage than you do elevation, if that makes sense. So you've got, you know, from the butt to the front in windage, but you've only got this much elevation. So trying to figure that out and holding off the front of them or leading them or any of that stuff. And then understanding, you know, which way it's going to drift and, you know, what your bullet does, those ranges. And that's why I always tell people, I'm like, if you're going to go to the range, take a piece of paper with you. Um, I've got some, some shooter books and I'll write down, okay, this was the date at 600 yards. This is what I was doing. Um, my miles per hour on my wind was this. And just taking those notes, you know, and then kind of studying them afterwards to know, like, Okay, when I'm ever put in this position, I know what this rifle is going to do, what my nozzler is going to do, what my short mags are going to do, you know, all of the different guns that I have, I want to make sure that I know if I'm, you know, hunting with that, what I'm going to expect to do that, because we all know it, it, you can't sit there and go through your, your ballistics calculator and input all your stuff and everything. It's got to be with hunting. It's got to kind of be on the fly. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, there's very few perfect situations when you're out in the woods. And especially I mean, like for me, it's one thing if I'm sitting in my tree stand here in Missouri, or up in Wisconsin, you know, I know what my ranges are. I know, in Wisconsin, if I shoot up past 100 yards in those woods, like the heavens have opened up, and it just walked into a perfect lane. But for the most part, I mean, I grew up All of the deer, except for one that I shot in those woods in Wisconsin was inside of a hundred yards. And so it's like, you can, you can know what your rifle is going to do pretty well at that point. But if you're going out and coyote hunting in the plains or mountain, uh, mountain goat hunting or bighorn or any big game animal really out West, you could come across a, 45 degree incline shot at 700 yards you might be a flat shot at 225 but yeah having the information and and really having it be second nature so you don't have to consult you know your ballistics app because you're probably not going to have the time to do it
2: right and I mean you know Vortex and Leica and all these companies have done a phenomenal job with like binos, ranging vinyls and different things you know you're it gives you you know, that, that incline and it it recalculates, you know, there's so many, so much of that stuff now that if, if you really want to be a good hunter, you can invest in, but it still doesn't take the place for you, the Indian and the arrow, you know, you pulling that trigger standing, what's going to happen as soon as you pull that trigger. Um, And one of the other big things that a lot of people don't think about is how do you manage recoil on your rifle Um, by that? I mean, so if you shoot at it now, can you miss where did it hit? can you readjust are you just going to keep winging them right and that's a good break it's a good suppressor i run both i try to run mostly suppressors now when i hunt but that's one of those things that you've got to understand is how to get behind the rifle how it recoils into you and then if you're not in a great position you know how do you make sure that you're trying to watch that because that was one thing that we've taught ourselves in the precision rifle side of things is how to miss targets, measure with the reticle really fast and make a re-engage shot. And that was one of those things that took me a long time to figure out because, you know, the the mantra is slow is fast, right? So slow, you know, methodical, taking it, breaking it down in your mind and then making a, a follow-up shot and following through with it. Like I see so many people do, just trying to run the bolt as fast as they can, you know, and doing it. But it's like, Listen, you could have slowed that down, uh, watched the trace, watched the bullet hit. Um, I mean, because trace won't necessarily tell you everything, but where that bullet hits, I always say the bullet doesn't ever lie. Wherever that bullet hits is what's happening. So use that bullet measure, make your follow-up shot, make a great shot. But I mean, that's just another one of those steps that as a proficient hunter, as a proficient shooter that you need to be doing in your brain you know it's little things that you can program but that that's again all about getting out there and, and taking the, the time to practice
1: yeah i i've been told by multiple people with with both rifles and uh bows like the the equipment is so advanced that it's going to do what you tell it to do like if there's an error it's going to be on you it's not like uh <laughs> I can't remember who I was talking to. I think I went shooting with a buddy the other day and he's like, dude, I don't believe in flyers. Like, I don't believe that all of a sudden one bullet just decides that it wants to go a different direction. Like if you see that multiple times while you're out shooting, it's probably because you're doing something wrong as a shooter. I mean, obviously sometimes the load is off if you're, if you're getting factory ammunition or whatever, but he's like, when you pull that trigger, you should know that bullet is going exactly where you tell it to. And most of us, I mean, I'm sure you know there's people like you have who have done competitive and professional shooting that that could outshoot your equipment, but for the everyday guy, everyday lady, like odds are the equipment is gonna far exceed what we can do,
2: but to that point, you've also got to understand your equipment if yeah. Say, for instance, if you've got a super light barrel and you know that you can only fire three rounds for it through it before it starts flying. um, There are different certain circumstances that will create flyers. Um, How you load a bipod. If you load a bipod differently each time, you're going to have different point of impact shifts. Um, How you engage the rifle with your shoulder and how you load into it. That's going to engage it. How your eye you know, figuring out where your eye lines up on your butt pad every time, because then you don't, you know, get out of focus. You don't have any parallax issues, that kind of stuff. There's little things that come into focus, but um, there are times where there's two of my guns that I know I can't fire more than four rounds through them because once it gets a certain heat, because it's going so fast, it will start throwing stuff everywhere, Yeah, which is a hard part. So it's just understanding your equipment, but that, all comes right back around to you spending the time behind the rifle to understand that's what it is and if stuff like that bothers you you probably need to go with like a heavier contour on your um you know on your barrel or you need to go with a different stock or things like that that's why a lot of people are going like the xlr chassis now because there's not as much flex in them they're super light you know there's a lot of different changes that have come around in probably the last five years that have really changed the way we look at um the, the stuff we carry but i mean yeah to your point you are correct i mean if it's constantly something is wrong with it it's it could be the rifle and it could be you but that's where you figure out a process to break it down you know the, the shot process and everything else and i tell everybody that i'm like when you're doing stuff like that take your time it's not a race it's like the same thing i tell people when they're sighting their gun in everybody i see them go out there and they're just racking around to as fast as they can trying to sight in their gun and i'm like that does you no good. i might like, wait a minute, wait two minutes in between, take a deep breath, you know, look at that, see what Mirage is doing because Mirage on a really hot day is going to throw you off a little bit, even at a hundred yards. Um, there's so much of that that it is not a race when you're trying to set up your gun and get your information. It's, it's slow, it's steady, it's understanding that. And like I said, I tell everybody, um, I don't have my other one with me, but I just get a composite notebook and I'll take it with me. And a lot of it looks like scribbled everybody else, but I know that I'm going through different steps and I'm understanding something. I'll write something down. And then when I get home, I'll look at it again and go, all right, I did this and this, and I know I didn't do this right. So next time I need to focus on this type of stuff. So it's just one of those things that, you know, when, when we were in the military, they always called it muscle memory. We trained and we trained and we trained and we trained to make sure that it was just natural, you know, and, I'm not saying that going out and hunting and shooting is that, but you can definitely get to the point to where, oh, I screwed up on that one and I know why. I'm going to correct it on this one type thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As I mean, as people start to look into how to, you know, develop their shooting skills or become more precise, more accurate, are there certain things aside from, you know, the practice and training like that? Some people might be missing. I know when I first started looking into long range shooting, one thing, um, that, that was told to me was like, you said, the cheek engagement, where it, where it hits your, your stock. And, you know, if possible, get a bag or, you know, something that straps on that you can adjust to, to hit your cheek. Right. Because the next train, I mean, before I ever had anything like that, I was just shooting an old hunting rifle and it really does start to take a toll on your neck. Like when you're laying behind a rifle, trying to shoot, hold your head up high enough to keep your eye in line. Um, and so that's something that I've, that I've done recently um, as well as uh, I know you had mentioned muzzle brake or suppression on a rifle. I've got a, a great muzzle brake on my new rifle. And um, are there other pieces of equipment like that, that someone could take and attach to or uh, put on, you know, their old hunting rifle to help make them more accurate.
2: Yeah. I mean, some people get into tuners. I mean, that was kind of a, a talked about thing for a long time and barrel tuners were kind of a not talk about, but if, if you're not a hand loader and you're to try dial something in, there are some good tuners out there. Um, I just had a podcast on my podcast a while back with a guy named Andy Reinhardt, and he went through and he did an entire exhaustive test on, Ring height and sight height. And kind of coming back to your point with necks is because we are trying to put the scope so low to the bore, it's making our neck not right. And what it's doing is we're not getting the same engagement every time. And we're not getting the same view every time because we're in a position that we're not used to being in. And he said, we've got to throw that out of our minds that we have to have the lowest rings we can get. Like you've got to be able to slide a dollar bill under that scope. And he said, what you need to do is try to get something adjustable. Like you said, there's plenty of things out there um, that you can buy to add to a stock to make it a little bit better adjustability and raise your rings up a little bit to engage your, your neck and your eyes a little bit better. And that was something I never thought about. And that was a, a conversation I love to have because I, I wanted somebody to have the data behind it to be able to tell me that hey, this is what it was and hey there's data behind it now that we've all been doing it wrong for a long time. and that's why I try to tell everybody now that's one thing. Um, your length of pull is another. that's a big thing. If you're shooting if you're a lady and you shoot stocks way too long for you, um, you're never going to be able to be as accurate as you can to have a stock that's you know fitted to you. Um, triggers, triggers are a big thing. Um, You know, how you engage a trigger, are you jerking it? Are you pressing it? Are you, uh, you know, slapping it? There's different things there. I mean, a lot of that stuff comes into point. One of the biggest things that I tell people to update on their, on their old hunting rifle is a trigger. Um, The next is to make sure that your barrel's free floating, that it's not touching, Um, you know, and then make sure if you do have a rail, I've had plenty of times to where a lot of the old rails are, or just screwed on to the rifle, and you before you start shooting. Um, I did a vlog on it a while ago about uh, my 300 short mag. Um, I tried to figure out why it wouldn't hit, and I didn't take the time before I started shooting to go through and check my rail and check all that stuff, and my rail was loose. So I spent you know 15 rounds of ammo for no freaking reason because I didn't go through those those pre-step checklists and. That's one thing that I really want to point out to everybody is come up with a checklist before every year you go hunting. If if it's been in the side-by-side, if it's been anything else, just go through that rifle and make sure everything's 100%. Whether you've got to take it out of the stock, check the stock for cracks, things like that. But go through a checklist of trying to make sure that everything's good before you go start wasting ammo. Because ammo's been so obedient it lately. It's been hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine just blowing through ammo anymore. I remember the days where you could, and you know, you could go out and spend a hundred dollars shooting and it was a good day. You had a lot of fun for a long time. And now it's like, man, just to find the ammo to get out and go shoot for a day is difficult. Um, I, uh, I finally found ammo. I, I had ordered this rifle and my buddy has, has the same, it's a 300 PRC. And he's like, dude, there's a, there's two stores in town that carry ammo for it. So for three weeks, I had been stopping in, stopping in looking, and I couldn't find any. And then all of a sudden, I I went to one of them, they had three boxes, I bought all three, the other store had eight, and they had a limit of five. And I was like, all right, screw it, I'm gonna buy it all right now. Because who knows, I might not be able to find it for another six months.
2: Yeah, 300 PRC has been a hard one to find. Uh, we move a lot of that with one of my clients. And it's been super hard to where we've had to start finding hand loads and finding brass but that's what happens with anything new and hot that comes out you know when the 6.5 Creedmoor came out it was the same way when the 6.5 PRC came out same way you know they're those hot items and then not to mention the issue we've been going through with COVID that made it almost impossible to do half that stuff yeah do you have do you have a certain
1: round I mean obviously everybody's got their round their rifle that they really like is there a round that you've found that kind of transfers between different types of game and different hunts really well?
2: I mean, the 30 cows have always been good. Um, I've got probably five or six different 30 cows and they're, they're for different things. I mean, the biggest thing you've got to look at, and this is what I try to tell everybody when they call me, you know, wanting to order a new gun is, okay, what's going to be your furthest shot? Um, You know, and then what are you hunting? You know, we've got to look at downrange energy. We've got to look at velocity. We've got to look at BC. There's some things that I go through in a checklist in my brain um, to when I tell somebody what to buy. But the 300 PRC is an awesome cartridge. I mean, it's just pretty much 300 Win Mag V2. You know, it's got a little bit more ass behind it. Um, the 7-300 norma has been a fun one we've played with. 300 norma has been a fun one we've played with. Um, a lot of that depends on, you know, I tell people, I, I absolutely love my 28 Nosler, but I... I actually tell people not to get it unless they realize that they're going to have to hand load for it because there isn't a whole lot of great factory ammo for the 28 Nozzler. And I love Nozzler. Don't get me wrong. They're some of my greatest friends. But some of that ammo needs to be revamped and it just doesn't shoot right. Um, And that cartridge is just a sweet freaking cartridge. Um, But I guess those are some things that you've got to ask. Are you a hand loader? If you are, that kind of opens it up. If you're not, we've got to stick to factory-loaded rounds. Um, And I tell everybody, I'm like, look, if you're just the average guy uh, or gal uh, and you're out there and you're hunting about anywhere in the world, what is a cartridge that you could buy about anywhere on a shelf? And that's kind of what I tell people to look for. I'm like, if you're not a hand loader, that's what you want to look for. And what is probably one of the most uh, – the the most – used cartridges out there 300 win Mag. um it's everywhere you know it's in about every yeah. store it's there's made by multiple companies so you can try different factory ammo to see what your gun likes and um it, it's just been it's been a tried and true solid uh foundation you know when i worked on that contract the xm 2010 contract with the uh you, the army snipers section i mean it the ballistics on it were just great they've since moved away from that a little bit but for the average person, the 300 Win Mag does a lot of great things. Same thing with 7 Rem Mag. 7 Rem Mag you can buy, you know, about anywhere. And Creedmoor is starting to become the same way. But that also comes back to the question, what's the furthest you're going to shoot? What are you going to shoot with it? Because you're not going to want to shoot a Creedmoor. I know people do it. I know people, I'm going to get hate for saying this, but people shoot elk at a 1,000 yards of the 6.5 Creedmoor. And that cartridge was not made to do that it doesn't have the energy nor the velocity at a thousand yards to do the damage that it probably needs to do to take that animal out so if i'm going to order something and i know i'm hunting deer elk big game with it i want something that's got a little more oomph behind it to make sure that i it does its job and it gets what it's doing i'm not saying i would never hunt with the 65 because i do it all the time but i just want people to kind of think about that in the back of their mind like what am i going to be doing with this cartridge
1: Alright, I wanted to take a quick second to tell you about my go-to optics kit for the fall. First and foremost, I don't go anywhere without my Fury 5000 range-finding binoculars. I keep those in Vortex's glass pack bino harness or on the bino strap. Next, I always have my Razor HD spotting scope close at hand to take that final look at the big bull or the buck before putting on a stock. I pair both of these with Vortex's Ridgeview carbon fiber tripod and panhead combo to get the best image quality and stabilization. If you're looking for a do it all optic setup, check out what's new from Vortex at vortexoptics.com and head to your favorite Vortex dealer to make sure you're ready for everything Paul can throw at you. Yeah, the energy was something that was very interesting to me because. You know, most of this stuff, most of the quote unquote training that I've done is just watching YouTube videos and I'm going through and I'm watching people who have a lot of content out there, good content, highly rated and figuring out like, what are they, what are they talking about? And one of those things was the energy, like, Hey, to take out an elk, you want like 900 foot pounds of energy. And I'm like, that's foreign to me. I've never even thought about (laughs) what that means or, or how it impacts my hunting And so I'm looking at rounds, you know, that I I can carry that out to farther and farther distances while maintaining accuracy. The other thing that I found very interesting was um, the debate of, you know, do do you do the super lightweight rifle when you go out hunting? You know, because if you look at most shooters with their bench rifles, they're pretty heavy setups. You obviously don't want to be bringing a 14, 15 pound rifle out into the woods, but Sometimes people have a really hard time shooting lightweight rifles because of the amount of recoil that comes back and it trains their brain to react to it in a negative way. And so um, even with that, like, do you see that being an issue? People are like, man, I got to get my my rifle down under seven and a half pounds. Like, if it's any heavier than that, I don't want to carry it. Uh, Do they compromise and take away from accuracy at that point?
2: (laughs) Yeah, the gun itself doesn't necessarily take away from the accuracy. It's behind it because, like you said, we call it felt recoil. So what you feel when it recoils, you know, there's there's a few different types of recoil we talk about, um, but felt recoil is a big one. If you're shooting, you know, a, a big caliber like a seven three hundred Norma or three hundred mag or three hundred rum or something, and it's you know a few pounds, it sucks to shoot after a couple of rounds, no matter if you got a brake on it or not. And that's one of those things is you a lot of people get in their mind where they they rush it because they're they're doing the flinch and the trigger's not doing what it's supposed to be and stuff like that. And we've we've had a lot of conversations about it. It's like you've got to get a rifle, um, you know, that that has the amount of weight that you need to be able to manage that. Now, can you manage that rifle and keep your scope on the animal after you shoot? one of those big time big things is it clear the heck off to the side is it everything else because then you probably shouldn't be shooting you know that because you have no idea where you're hitting you don't know what you're doing and hopefully you've got a good spotter it you know there's not a whole lot of good spotters out there that can read a miss and you know make a correction for you and stuff like that so it, it is a big thing you know if you can get a little bit heavier of a rifle and shave some pounds somewhere else you know, go ahead and do that. Or maybe you need to spend an extra couple of days in the gym a week. I, I don't know, but I try to, avo- I try to avoid people from those ultra ultra lights. Um, because that's been the race is the race to the bottom forever, you know, and being able to understand it and mitigate that is, is definitely a, a huge thing, you know, and, uh, coming back to the ballistics and everything else, you want something that will do its job, but so let me, let me give you this in context. I had a con- – uh, and a lot of people don't know this. Um, I had a podcast with Seth from Hornady a while ago, and we got us talking about bullet expansion. So what we do – and I'm taking this from Barnes. When we take a bullet and we design it, it has to be designed to expand within a certain velocity range, right? So a bullet – most bullets can't expand under – 1200 feet per second so if you're shooting a bullet and it's going 900 feet per second at a thousand yards it's it could expand but more more than likely it's not going to expand we test it at the high end to make sure it expands but it doesn't completely just disintegrate um, because you want to transfer that energy through the animal that's one of the big things we talk about is is temporary cavity when it goes in and transfer the energy all the way through um, and then so you know, a lot of the bullets they're in between that 1200 to 2600 feet per second. So, anything over 2600 feet per second, a bullet's just going to make a big ass hole when it goes through. Anything under 1300 feet per second, I don't know if it's going to work or not. So, that's the way we test bullets when we design them to try and hit that. So, if your gun. And the yardage that you're going to know that you're going to try and shoot, because if you know there's an elk curve but you can't ever get within 900 yards of them, you've got to decide, okay, can I, should I go with this 190 grain, but it's only going this fast, or should I go down to a 170 grain or a 165 that I know is going to expand a little bit better and create a bigger wound cavity. So there's a lot of that stuff that comes into, you know, the hunting aspect of things too, and understanding energy expansion and velocity, because those are, you know, two, three big things that come into that. Yeah.
1: And I mean, as we talk about all this, I I can already sense listeners are going to be like, man, this is so much information. This is so much information. And to get into it and think you're going to understand all of this at once is, is unrealistic, you know, start somewhere because if you're anything like me, it gets addicting, And it's exciting. Once you start actually looking at the different information, looking at load data, looking at velocity and BC and energy. And um, I don't know, I kind of nerd out about that stuff. I don't know if it's just because I'm a numbers guy or what, but it's fun. And, and so instead of getting intimidated by it, like find something that you can get excited about with it. I, I, I really like that you mentioned that window of expansion, because I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, they see the picture on the back of the box and they're like, Oh, look, it goes from this. And you see how wide that is like, that's going to do so much damage. Well, it's designed to do that traveling at a certain speed. And if you're putting yourself outside of that window and you're wondering why you hit it, but it didn't drop the animal or you never recovered it. It's because, you know, potentially you didn't do your homework and understand what your bullet does at different velocities.
2: Yeah. And I mean, we could have a whole nother podcast on ballistics, bullets and understanding, you know, how they work and different things like that. But I and that's one of the biggest reasons why I started Long Range Tactics is because so many re- people would reach out to me and they're like, I don't get this. This is so far over my head um you know and we need somewhere to go that we can ask people these questions and that we can kind of learn so hence that's why we created that um you know and this is one of the biggest things that i i preach and i preach and i preach i'm like you spend a lot of money on optics you spend a lot of money on guns you spend a lot of money on everything but how much money do you spend on yourself going to a class or taking instruction from somebody that knows what they're doing now I'm not saying just go out there and find any random person and have them teach you because that is wrong. Um, You know, there's quite a few people that I would recommend um, that you go take classes from and go step by step because they will walk you through this. And you're like, well, that's really expensive. It's like, you know, a couple hundred dollars for a couple of days. I'm like, well, how much money are you going to spend on ammunition and everything else and travel into the range and everything else trying to figure all this out on your own? Right. Yeah. So that's one of those big things. I, I just recommend to people, I'm like, if it's super overwhelming, you know, sit down, find somebody, find somewhere to go train. Um, you know, one of the other things that I've done in the past, because uh, I've taken, I, I'm never, I will never say I'm a great shooter. I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to better myself. I will get a group of people and I'll say, hey, if I can get an instructor to come to us, um, will you all come and go to the range and set up that way too so that you're not going somewhere else and you know I'm happy to go to other places too I'm going to Brownells in a couple weeks to teach a big uh, shooting thing and uh, then Colorado after that so it's like you've got to be able to 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 spend money on yourself and invest money in yourself if you want to get better I, I know the passion for it comes and it gets even more fun when you start understanding and when you start seeing stuff click. And that's the fun part to me about people learning, you know, ladies learning, uh, the overwhelming stuff, uh, is, is that fact. But I liked how you came up with that. You know, I've I've been learning a lot of stuff on YouTube. YouTube's a great thing. You know, when we were growing up, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have that way to learn. Um, you know, so I've I've been asked if pe- a bunch of people have messaged me lately. You know, why are you guys keeping it a secret? Why is long range shooting? Why are you guys that have shot professionally for so long keeping some of your stuff secret? And I'm like, we're not. We went out. We spent the time to educate ourselves. We go on YouTube at night, and instead of watching, you know, videos or, or you know, dumb stuff of somebody doing something stupid, we're we're educating ourselves, right? And if you want to be better at anything, golf, shooting, anything, taking the time to watch the YouTube channels, um, you know, like Ryan Kleckner, Ryan Kleckner. I worked with him at Remington for a long time. Ryan's got a solid channel. Um, Chris Way, Chris Way's got a lot of solid videos out there. There's, I mean, I could go on for days to say, Hey, start here, learn here, learn here, learn here. And that will get you a long ways in your shooting thing, but it still does not take the place of you going into a class and understanding from someone that's going to teach you. So that would take a lot of that, you know, scared of trying to get into it out of it. I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Cause I remember when I first talked to my buddy, Ryan, he had been shooting, doing some long range stuff for a little while. And he had some friends that got him into it. And he told me right away, he's like, man, spend as much on the optic as you do on the rifle, if not more. He's like, and then I've heard from other people spend as much on ammunition as you do on the rifle and you know, go out and teach yourself or like use the ammo and get that comfortable with the rifle that you're potentially burning a thousand dollars in ammunition on it before you actually go and put it into practice in the real world. The one thing I have yet to hear from anybody until this conversation is go and spend that money on training. You know, get the professional help to actually learn how to use the equipment and you know budget is something that always comes into play on youtube Uh, i'm sure you've seen all the videos man a thousand a thousand yards for a thousand dollars what's the best rifle to set up on a budget um do you have any tips for people when they are looking for a new rifle around a scope is there a certain price point that you tell people like hey underneath this it's going to be a struggle and you really have to know what you're doing in order to build it or you know the guys who are like oh you know, I just went and bought a $9,000 gun work setup because that's the only one that's going to work. You know, there's the extremes on both sides. What's the window of, um, I guess, information that you would give people on price to spend on their, on their system?
2: You know, I, here's the thing. I would rather have a $2,000 three-quarter minute to a minute gun than I would a seven thousand dollar quarter moa gun and why i say that is because most of the time most people will never be able to shoot that quarter moa but between the price points you've got a lot more money to spend on the ammunition and the training to become more proficient with it just because that thing shoots that much understanding what it does at yardage is everything you know if it's a one moa gun which I, i i shoot them i don't like to but I try to get it down a little bit and that comes into hand loading and different things like that. But you can at least understand now because you've spent that money to go out there and, you know, set up targets at different ranges and build your confidence level um, to get there. Um, You know, there's a lot of great freaking guns out there. And I tell people, I'm like, okay, if you're going to start at the bottom, find a gun that's like 700 based, you know, the Bergaras, uh some of those that you can upgrade. Like you don't like the stock, okay? I, there's plenty of options after that to get a stock. Um my favorite probably are the cheaper ones or the Bergar or the uh Tikas. Tikas are phenomenal rifles and you can as you go and as you become a better shooter, um you can upgrade stuff. You can do different barrels, you can do different stocks, you know. You can upgrade a lot of that stuff. But starting somewhere as the point you know when i started i started with a parker hill 30-06 that was my you know very first gun and understanding that it kicked the shit out of me i was a little kid i didn't know any better but now now that i've gotten better but it's all about you know what you can afford everybody looks at my gun collection like man it must be nice i'm like i started out where all you guys did you know i started out with a, a cheap gun and i started teaching myself how to do that you know whether it be a trainer. Everybody talks about training guns. Uh, maybe you buy that more expensive, bigger gun, but you train with a smaller gun just, you know, for trigger control and stuff like that. Another big one that I tell people to do that's free, hundred percent free is dry fire. Everybody's like, Oh, that's stupid. I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, get, get set something up across the room. Um, you know, get a ladder, get a couple chairs to kind of, and don't look at it like, Oh, I'm shooting a PRS match. And you know, I'll look at it like, Hey, if there's a tree, if there's a rock, If there's something in a hunting situation that I can train with, I'm going to get up on that. I'm going to figure out where this gun's stable. I'm going to figure out this trigger squeeze. I'm going to figure out this trigger. And that'll also let you know, hey, I probably need to upgrade my trigger. I need to upgrade this because I'm just not as steady as I want to be. Breathing's always been a big one for me. Um, You know, especially when I'm up off the ground, you know, trying to, we call it a figure eight, trying to, you know, trap all that. But I, I think you know, that you just spend the money that you feel comfortable with and then you get good behind it. You know, I've been very blessed through my career of getting the best optics and the best stuff, but that doesn't make me any better of a shooter. I've seen guys go buy those $8,000 gun works and they suck at shooting, you know, it doesn't make you any better of a shooter having that stuff. You know, I've seen guys with a stock Remington 700 and a, you know, a cheap scope that, do phenomenal and it's just because they've spent the time to understand the the weapon system
1: yeah i i like where you're going with that i mean to to train yourself to be good any weapon you put in your hands obviously each one has its own limit but if if you aren't the limiting factor of how well you can shoot you're going to be better off no matter what rifle you have um and then the dry fire deal that's That's also information that when I first heard it, I was like, you can't dry fire. I thought that's bad for it. You know, like there's this weird uh, theory going around that like you're going to end up breaking your rifle or your pistol or your shotgun if you dry fire. The only thing that I've found in talking with a lot of different people who shoot that you can't dry fire is a bow. Like don't don't go out and dry fire bow. Don't practice like that. Your limbs are going to explode. But as far as rifles go, like all all you're going to do if and i've i've watched the youtube hunting videos where they do that they get set up on an elk at 600 yards and they're like all right hey dry fire before you do did the crosshairs pull off the elk as you as you pulled through that trigger you know which way did it pull and make adjustments like that and there's going to be certain situations in hunting if the animals don't know you're there and you are set up at that five six and up range that you can potentially get a couple dry fires squeezed off and you can correct form before actually sending a round downrange.
2: Right. Yeah, and the other thing you can't dry fire is rim fires. A lot of rim fires you can't do because oh, yeah. a damage. But I actually do that. Um, people that I teach, I'm like, before you ever make your first shot, if you're sighting in, um, if you're at the range, one of the first things I'll do is I'll get behind my rifle and ensure that it's not loaded and I'll just run my bolt and run my trigger a few times, because sometimes in, in my mind, I haven't ran it enough to, to remember, you know, where that trigger break is, where, what we call the wall is, Um, you know, reset running the bolt a few times just to get that, that back in your head, because some people sit down and a lot of times it's their own gun, but it scares the shit out of them the first shot, you know, and that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help you with anything because it's like, if you're out hunting or anything else, you don't want in your mind for that first shot to become a memory of, oh shit, it scared the hell out of me because what's gonna happen when the first time you go hunting, it's gonna scare you, you're gonna jump. And who knows what's gonna happen with that bullet. So getting that memory behind that rifle, behind that trigger, running the bolt, staying on the rifle while you're in the bolt. I see a lot of people come up off the rifle and run the bolt. You know, it, it's little things like that that's going to make you a better hunter, you know, understanding, you know, trying to run the bolt and stay as smooth as possible. Keep your eye focused on your target. Um, little things like that are going to make you a lot better shooters, and it's not going to cost you a whole bunch of money to do. It's just slow and steady, training your brain to, to, to do that kind of stuff. And, and I guarantee you're going to be a better shooter at the end of your range session if, session, if you spend the time doing those things. Yeah, what,
1: what do you guys offer? I mean, you've mentioned briefly some of the stuff and you have people calling you all the time, as far as somebody who is looking into the training, they're trying to figure out what rifle system to build, they're trying to train themselves how to be more accurate, more precise, and just an all around better shooter, what can they expect if they were to reach out to you?
2: You know, I, we all try to answer our messages the best thing possible. And what we do is, like I said, we go through kind of a, a cognitive list of steps, like asking questions so we can understand uh, what they're trying to do with it. Better, are you just going to hunt coyotes or are you just going to hunt deer and smaller game with it? You? you know, trying to understand some of that and then um, trying to point them in the right direction. One thing I am going to add to our website here pretty soon is a list of recommended um, training institutions that people can go to that I recommend personally, um, that I know they teach solid fundamentals and they'll teach it the right way. It's not just having to take your money and hopefully at the end of it, you've learned something, you know, um, I've taken, I don't know, probably over a dozen classes myself, and I've learned one or two things from most all of them. Some of them I've learned a lot and others I'm like, man, this was a complete waste of money. So I want to make sure that people spend their hard-earned money with places that they're going to learn something. And it's the same thing with a rifle. I'm like, I'm not going to teach, try to talk you into the next step up rifle um, because you don't probably need it. You know, I, we always, you always hear that half MOA guarantee, half MOA guarantee, but how many people can really shoot that rifle to a half MOA? You know, that, that's one of those things is I can guarantee it. I can shoot it probably just fine. But for the most, for most people, if they're shooting, you know, a, 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 decent sized target, a hundred yards are happy, but you've also got to understand that at a hundred yards, if it's this big at 300 yards, it's going to be this big at 500 yards, you know, progressively it's bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but going through a class is going to help you understand that and help you to try and shrink those, those groups, um, you know, down and then understanding wind wind's a big one. Um, and all the factors that come into all that stuff, ballistic coefficients and stuff. But that's, that's on a whole nother podcast. I think with, with BCs and bullets and understanding that value of things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Figuring out, uh, you know, the things that you can do personally to become a better shooter, the the equipment that you can get, it's going to help with it. Um, is there, do you see, I guess when people do go through these training courses, uh, is there like a, I'm trying to think how to say this, uh, an expectation that they can realistically have, like, hey, after this course, I will be able to shoot those half MOA groups or, you know, sub MOA out to a certain range. Um, I just want people, if they are looking into going through some of this training, how much they could potentially see improvement um, if they follow the steps.
2: You know, in in our classes, it's, there's, Five. I don't know. There's probably three or four one-day classes, or there's one big class that goes through everything, um, which I don't necessarily recommend to the beginning shooter to go through everything at once because it's just way too much information. Yeah. But if you can come and take them one by one, I think after the first one, you're you're pretty good at understanding how to get your gun's velocity, um, understanding. Um, how to input your data into a ballistics calculator, um, understanding what yardage I need to go to to true it. Truing another thing we could talk about on another podcast. Um, and really getting through those those steps to getting your rifle dialed in because that is the biggest step that you've got to make. No matter what you do, if your rifle's not dialed in and you don't understand the ballistics behind of it, you're never going to be able to be accurate and precise at, at a given distance. So you've got to go through those steps first. So our first one is intro to, um, intro to long range hunting is what I call it. Um, so we sit down and I explain the different instinct instances behind your, your rifle scope. And so many people learn a lot of stuff just from that, you know, what's parallax um, first focal point versus second focal point. Um, what's your ocular in the back? You know, a lot of people have no idea that you can adjust that to get it to fit your eye better um and then you know a lot of people buy scopes because their buddy said hey this is a scope you want and because it fits his eye doesn't mean that it fits your eye Um, there's a lot of things we talk about on that we get people behind different scopes so they can understand the different glass in them and things like that and we just kind of break it down um and then we go through you know setting up your rifle making sure everything's tightened down torqued down we'll kind of take it apart Make sure that everything's correct, you know, because again, going back to that, if you're going to start shooting and it's not torqued, you're going to waste a lot of ammo, you know, over that. So it's pretty much all the basics of getting up to the point of you being able to um, get the data input in your calculator and make shots at yardages. Now, the next one would be, you know, it goes from that and then it goes up to more precision based shooting. Um, You know, being able to mitigate the recoil better understanding how to engage off of a certain obstacle, tripods, um, loading bipods, things like that. That would be the next step. And then the next step would be, you know, um, angles, high angles, low angles, um, off of side hills, improvised positions, stuff like that. And then, of course, the big one just puts all of that together, which, like I said, it, it overwhelms a lot of people because it's just so much information. But if anything, if you're only going to take one class, that first class is the class to have. If you're a hunter, just because it goes through all of that and it gives you the the ability to have the confidence. I, I use that word a lot because it is. It's like anything. If you don't have confidence in your rifle, um, everything falls apart. I've shot matches to where I've destroyed a rifle scope in the middle of a match. My confidence gone, and I everything just destroy, just goes goes away after that. So the confidence is one of the big points of everything, and that's what we want to teach first and foremost. But uh, hopefully, that answered your question.
1: No, that's great. Um, yeah, to to have that expectation and understand what it is that you're going to be learning going into it. You know, uh, I feel like because of the amount of information out there online, you can go and you watch a couple of videos and you see these guys that are shooting, you know, plates at a thousand yards or full mile and it's like oh man if i buy this rifle if i if i watch a couple videos i'm going to be able to do the same thing well maybe maybe you're a freak and maybe you're just like a really great naturally gifted shooter but for the most part you know there are very small things that we can do and there's a lot of little things that we can fine-tune to enhance our abilities on the range or in the woods on the mountain wherever it is that you hunt or shoot and so Mm -hmm. I like I like when people have that realistic expectation going into it,
2: and and this is the thing. Everybody I've heard from everybody. Yeah, I've shot a thousand yards. Okay, out of ten shots, how many times did you hit the target? Well, you know, a couple of times. All right. So were you accurate and precise, or were you just lucky and you got into it? What we want to teach you is if you shoot at a thousand yards and you miss, how do I read that and how do I make a correction on the fly, and engage that target and hit it eight out of ten times you know, a thousand yards is a long freaking shot. Yeah, it is. I mean, once people see it, you know, the, the internet's made it like, Hey, a thousand yards is isn't that far, but a thousand yards is a good plink, you know, especially if it's a, you know, a two MOA target at a thousand yards is 20 inches. It's not a very big target. Yeah. Uh, Especially when you've got a lot of wind, you've got a lot of updrafts, downdrafts, you got, you know, everything else to understand, but that's one thing we like to do. Okay. I missed it. 600 yards what does that mean? And how do I adjust it? How do I correct it? You know, and that's one of the, the biggest features of that kind of stuff. And when you're watching one of those movies or one of those things, you know, I've seen this new world record. He shot it, you know, 6,000 yards. All right. How many times did he, hit it? he got lucky and hit it once out of yeah. 400 shots, you know? So that comes back to the, you know, you don't, don't believe everything you hear, you know, and, and understand that, We've all started in a certain place, and those people probably need a lot more training. They just want to brag online about it.
1: Yeah, I've seen those videos where these guys have some crazy custom, like, 120 MOA rail that they've mounted on top of the rifle. It's eight inches tall, and uh, it it just cracks me up because people see it, and they're like, man, it can be done. He shot a 308. Three and a half miles. This is amazing, and it's just like, guys, come on, just be realistic. Understand that, you know, you're seeing the the good parts, or he's only showing you three of the misses leading up to that that three mile shot. Um, I I'm guilty of it. I used to watch all of those videos, and then I kind of wised up, and I'm like, all right, if if it's not a continual loop of him shooting ten times and hitting ten at six, seven, eight hundred yards, whatever. Odds are there's a lot of editing going into it.
2: Yeah. And that's one of the things that we kind of pride ourselves into is your very first class, you're going to be able to hit a thousand and you're going to be able to know what you need to take in your rifle to hit a thousand. And then you can go home and practice that. You know, that's one of those things is now that you've got that information, now you can take it upon yourself to to go make yourself better. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that's that's great, man. And I feel like everybody should start thinking about that, thinking about, you know, maybe maybe don't upgrade your thousand dollar scope to a three thousand dollar scope. Put that money into educating yourself, getting out there, training, getting instruction from someone who knows what they're talking about. And, uh, you know, you're going to be better off for it. And if it means at the end of the day, you can actually pull the trigger on that mule deer at 700 yards with confidence, knowing that you're going to hit where you're aiming. I feel like that's for sure money well spent. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, anything that helps me be more proficient in taking down an animal and and making a good clean shot where you know I don't blow its leg off and it runs three miles like it's it's gonna be money well spent
2: well, and like I said, I mean, because your buddy bought this brand new high-end scope doesn't mean that's what you want and that's why i tell people I'm like that's one of the great things about going to class it's not everybody in the class has the same stuff and everybody's usually pretty open to say hey get behind this look through it you know I, i've meant to have people tell me you've got to get the scope I'm like all right and i get behind them, i'm like nope i don't want that scope because it does not my eye just does the glass doesn't like it that's great that you like it but why did you buy it in the first place well my buddy told me you know, that's one of those things is it's like, if, if you do that, you know, in precision shooting, we invite everybody. We're like, if you just want to come watch, come watch, um, look through my scope. We're all happy as heck to look through it and walk through it. You can walk through stages with us. Um, go RO and match different things like that because everybody says a lot of that crosses over. A lot of people started shooting precision rifle in the beginning to become better hunters. Um, You know, and that's that's something that you could do for free. Well, not free, but whatever it costs you to get there and watch. No one's going to charge you an admission. No one's going to charge you. Say, hey, you're going to do it. You've got a lot of matches in your area that you could go, you know, go check out. You don't have to compete, but you can go check out, see how they maybe go up to a barricade and do that. And then you can go to your home range and, you know, experience and test some of that to see where you can become better. And then everybody's rifles are lined up. You can say, hey, do you mind if I get behind your rifle and look through your scope and feel it and, you know, just see what everything is. And that will open up all sorts of different cool stuff to where like, okay, I I like this one because of this. I like this one because of this reticle. This one's got a better parallax. This one's got a locking um, turret, you know, things things like that you would never think about going into purchasing a rifle or upgrading. And now that you've got that knowledge, you're like, all right, now I can go make an educated purchase instead of something my buddy told me that I should be buying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really easy to get sucked into the, oh, this has 4,000 five-star reviews on, on Amazon or yeah, my buddy really likes this one. I've, I've had plenty of friends that have come out and shot my rifle. Um, I love to shoot. I mean, if, if ammo wasn't so scarce, I'd be doing it every other day, you know, (laughs) shooting 20, 30 rounds. Um, but I've had buddies come out and shoot and they're like, dude, I've never shot past a hundred. I'm like, we'll just come out. We can shoot 350 behind the house and we'll go shoot. And they get behind the rifle and they're like, man, I really like your scope. That's pretty sweet. Uh, how much was it, you know? And, and I've had people buy it. I've had other friends that are like, dude, try mine out. You know, I like mine better than yours. And I'm like, is this a pissing match or are you actually saying that, you know, uh, but shooting, shooting different things, that's a great tip piece of advice for you to actually get, Behind a rifle, look through it as you would in a shooting or hunting situation so that you can know, hey, this gear is is worth it. Like, I I like the way it works. I like the way that my eye likes it, and uh, it's worth buying.
2: Yeah, I mean, then it goes down into, um, you know, what reticles do I like? Why do I like the reticle? One of the big things that I never really thought about till I really got into this, and I had issues with it is uh, locking turrets locking turrets are a big thing because if you've thrown it in a backpack um i shot vortex extreme a couple years and it happened a couple times i threw my optic didn't have a locking turret and it spun my turret when i didn't realize it when i put it in the pack and pulled it out and i went to shoot the stage and it was nowhere near it so those are just little things that most people wouldn't look at um depending on the situation you know if i'm shooting a precision rifle match i don't care if it locks or not necessarily i want a zero stop but if i'm hunting i want locking turrets so i can lock it and i know that it's zeroed and it's not moving capped you know capped windage things like that there's there's just definitely little things that you need to look at and make those educated decisions that you don't think about but um yeah getting together with some friends and shooting and doing some of that but i always tell everybody don't get together and shoot because you got 30 rounds, you know, make it a good training session. You know, what I tell people is I'm like, hey. Okay. and going back to that notebook, last time I had issues here, so I'm going to spend my first 5 to 10 rounds doing this. I'm going to spend my next 5 rounds to 10 rounds doing this. You know, and going through and building up that confidence um, with your trigger time and everything else. It's, a, it's cool to shoot a gun and hear ting. you know, a piece of steel, and it's reactive and makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. The other thing I tell people is quit fricking putting out giant pieces of steel does, does use zero good, put out there a piece of steel. That's going to challenge you. Um, don't hang up a, a four foot target at 300 yards and make everybody feel about it. Um, I tried to stick my rule of thumb is I tried to stick two to two and a half MOA, which is, you know, two times. So at a hundred yards, you'd be, you know, uh, well, so like for, for instance, at 400 yards, you'd be an eight inch piece. 600 yards, you'd be a 12 inch piece, you know, try to try to do that to make sure that you're testing your abilities, making sure that your gun can continually do what you're asking it to do and what you're doing behind it. Um, There's a lot of challenges like Chris way, I've got to have him on here pretty quick, but he created a challenge. It's called the craft challenge and it's different sizes of targets, just at hundred yards. And so you don't need a long range to test your abilities to um, you know, I think it's like so many standing, so many prone, so many, like it gives you different variables to test. And I'm like, man, it tears you apart the first couple of times, but it gives you stuff to work on instead of just wasting ammo. Yeah. Um, I, I guess if you want to feel good and or warm and fuzzy and just hit steel, that's great, but challenge yourself a little bit. That's all I'm saying.
1: No, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you hopping on and I feel like we could probably have a dozen follow-up calls to this one because, uh, we barely cracked the can of worms open. Um, there's, there's a lot that I can take away from this conversation to help me and, and stuff for me to work on. Uh, but I want to give you an opportunity to share with the listeners where, where can they go and connect with you? Where can they find, uh, the content that you're putting out as well as reach out for more insight and how to become a better shooter?
2: Yeah. I mean, my, our lines are always open. Our PMs, DMs, uh, long range tactics on, um, Instagram, long range tactics podcast on, uh, Facebook. And then we have what we call the long range tactics official group on Facebook. It's got almost 22,000 people in it now. Um, and then the long range tactics podcast, we're on the firearms radio network where we talk about a lot of this stuff and proponents and going into it and stuff. And, um, you know, we're always willing to help. Like I said, there's a there's a team of us that's there um, answering messages. like i've I've spent uh, probably forty five minutes this morning just answering people's messages this morning about some of this stuff. And it truly is. we started it because we wanted people educated. We wanted people to have fun and we wanted to kind of create a brand that people can kind of relate to um you know the tactics behind long-range shooting and uh, we do have long-range tactics on youtube too we've got to work on it we got a lot of work to do but you know how it is you got everything else going on in the world it's super hard to to nail down that but i i really appreciate you letting us come on because we are trying to you know spread the the solid knowledge of shooting with the garbage and the bs that um is out there one of our big mottos is passion and precision so that's, that's kind of where we're, we're coming from.
1: That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, we'll keep in touch. I'm, I'm definitely going to start looking at investing in um, some type of shooting training. That's one thing that I've never got. Um, It's all either YouTube or self-taught or probably buddies who don't know what they should uh, know in order to be teaching, but um, uh, that's great. And I'd love to have you back on as, as I progress in my shooting um, journey and becoming more precise uh and hopefully i can put some of this stuff into practice this year
2: yeah and you're always welcome to come out and take one of our classes it's just here in utah and i'll be updating that on the website here pretty soon at longrange tactics.com to where people can sign up for that and i'll give you a code and you can come out and hang out maybe we'll go shoot some other stuff while we're at it
1: that sounds awesome i'll be uh we're we're fully moved into the motorhome now, and uh, we'll be traveling for about six months. So one of my first stops is actually Utah, and then I'll be stopping in there again, I think, November. So I'll hit you up, and we'll get together.
2: Swing by. You're always welcome.
1: And that is going to wrap it up for today's episode. Man, what an awesome episode with Cole. I mean, hearing all about long range shooting, it definitely fired me up to really figure out my system and to go and get some further education when it comes to shooting long range and making those shots effectively on animals out at, you know, multiple hundreds of yards. If that's something that interests you, which I hope it does because there's just something cool about it, Um, Definitely go check Cole out and see what he has to offer through his shooting school and courses. And hopefully I can put some of this into practice. The amount of time that I'm spending out in Utah, I'm definitely going to have to go connect with him and see just how much improvement I actually need. But I'm excited. It's going to be so much fun. Actually, if you're listening to this, I am probably in the middle of my first hunt of the year and if you are if you know anything about utah we're mule deer hunting and i'm hoping that we already have had awesome opportunities that we're figuring it out but if you know anything about hunting utah the san rafael area shoot me a message because we might be coming out of the woods and realizing just how much help we need to make it happen with our archery equipment so um You guys, I'm not going to keep you long on this one because I know you've got some last-minute prep to do, um, some gear to pack, and season's upon us. So good luck out there. And until next time, get out there and chase new adventure.